Welcome to the Jackets Online Podcast. I'm Kelly Coleman, joined by Rivals.com and Jackets Online writer and managing editor of Jackets Online, Russell Johnson. We give you a lot of titles, Russell. Yes. Um, I'm the publisher, of course. Uh, that's my title. But uh, anyways, we're back. Uh, we've had just kind of crazy schedules. Both Russell and I have uh, babies at home right now. So it's been a little bit difficult to kind of coordinate. Um doing the podcast lately but with first game on the horizon I felt like we absolutely had to get one in this week um one way or the other and uh it's game week Russell it seems like it's been a long time yeah it's been a it's been a long time it's been a a long off season it really hasn't been that much longer than it normally would like from like a day standpoint but from like a, a mentality standpoint it feels like it's been years yeah no I mean the last day of Spring ball was something like the second week of March, and then every they went on spring break, and then everything kind of went to hell during the time they were on spring break at Georgia Tech and didn't reopen, and then we had no idea what the heck was going to happen. Um, and it's been that way for pretty much the rest of this time, up up until we saw games kick off last week and the week before. Um, a couple of week zero games and then what I called week zero plus last week. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just been weird. I, you know, fans have gotten a chance to see some of the bizarre kinks of, of uh, playing with this uh, electronic whistles and the no fans and the mask and coaches using their masks, not using their masks. Um, the weird sideline stuff, the kind of, uh, absurd crowd shots. Um, yeah. The best ones where I think were at Southern Miss were like, not only were people just kind of like right on top of each other, but they clearly did not give a damn about the football game. Like there was no reactions one way or the other to anything that was yeah. happening. My favorite is when the guy um, shanked the short field goal and it was in like towards a bunch of their fans and literally – they just looked stoically at the, the field. Like there, there was no reaction whatsoever to this dude missing a field, like a chip shot field goal. Yeah. Yeah. It became a social event, especially with them being on TV. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's, it's been pretty funny. The, the uh, army cadet corps was pretty funny with their little costumes and stuff in the end zones of yeah. the uh, middle Tennessee army game. But, you know, it's going to be another weird one this weekend. Um, you have, Georgia Tech traveling down to Tallahassee for the first time in 11 years, 11, 12 years. Um, 2009 was the last time they were down there. That was one of the weirdest games I've covered. It was a, a night game that ended uh, with – had a huge, like, lightning delay in the middle of the game, and there was no defense play in the game whatsoever. It was like – I think Christian Ponder might have been the quarterback of Florida State back then, and uh, it just went back and forth. It was like a wild scoring – best between the two teams and uh you know the last couple times Georgia Tech has played Florida State in the regular season they've definitely had their uh their numbers so it'll be interesting to kind of see this game and then the whole wild card factor of them having their first uh their first uh game under Mike Norvell the third football coach in four years at Florida State's a whole other thing um yeah that's got to be a modern modern history right there yeah, well, I mean, you got to think they had, you know, Bobby Bowden was a head coach from like 1970-something to, you know, what, 2009, 
nine? Yeah. Something like that. Around there, yeah. Yeah, so like it's weird how how it's kind of gone. You know, they had Jimbo. Jimbo did a nice job there and then was always kind of unhappy left to go to A&M and they hired Willie Taggart, the flavor of the month, uh, after his brief tenure at Oregon. And uh, that went south quickly, as many expected. They hired Mike Novell as a good football coach. Just he's uh, tasked with trying to um, rein in a program that's kind of had the. I want to use the inmates running the asylum analogy. That's a terrible one. Um, kind of been a player-led organization, right? Like a very player-focused players kind of get in their way, went in the locker room. Norvell is a, more of a traditional coach, likes to kind of be the boss man. So there's been a lot of pushback. Uh, as you and I have witnessed over the offseason, the uh, amusing amount of faux pas or communication errors they've had at Florida State have been pretty entertaining for, for fans. Yeah, for sure. I mean, in terms of that, I'm sure Florida State fans are, have been counting down to this game just as much as Georgia Tech fans have because they're ready to just see some football and see what Norvell's teams can actually do. Because for so long, they've been watching, you know, film on Memphis and, and watching his performances and talking about the quarterbacks he's had in the past. But when you take a look at, like, the, the teams he had at Memphis, some of those teams may be better on paper not on, I mean, not on paper, like from a, a record standpoint and from an experience standpoint, then the team he will put on the field on Saturday at, at Doe Campbell. I mean, they have a lot of talent on their team. It's just, you know, they're small on their offensive line. They're smaller than Georgia Tech on the offensive line, which is sort of fascinating. Um, and then, you know, it's Florida State. They always got skill guys. I mean, you, we can go through this list and I can, you know, Georgia Tech tried to recruit most of these guys. Uh, I can imagine. I remember Leonard Warner, for example, a middle linebacker, like um, from uh, I think he was Brookwood, maybe. Um, just like a big time linebacker that he tried to recruit. I mean, there's a bunch of these guys, uh, Jay Sean Corbin. Um, you know, it's interesting the quarterback situation because they have James Blackman and you know two other guys uh, who are younger guys behind him. James is like looks like a. a like a wing. He looks like Quentin Stevens who played for Georgia Tech's basketball team a few years ago. He's just skinny as a stick and um, just a tall dude with a big arm. But, you know, he's on his third offense in three years uh, or four years and just, I, you know, I, I don't know what the hell to expect. Like, man, that's like they got weapons. They got good weapons on the outside. They can be some running backs. Like, it's it's yeah. just what do you what do you expect out of this? You know, is their defense their defense was terrible last year, but they have so much talent, it's ridiculous on the defensive side of the ball. You know, when is that gonna step up and can they turn that around quickly? Memphis not known exactly as a defensive juggernaut either, by the way. No, not at all. Not um, at all. So <laughs> that's an interesting story. You basically have these two rebuilding teams essentially. You know, Georgia Tech I think is much more talented um than they were a year ago. Um, just from a player development standpoint and then adding in some pieces, but they're young at quarterback. And I think if you had a more experienced quarterback, you know, none of, even including James Graham, like none of the guys on the roster right now are what you would call a veteran, you know, guy that you are feel really confident going into this game with. I think that um, 
as you kind of look at this game from Georgia Tech's perspective, I think that's sort of the huge question is, you know, there's a couple of questions, right? There's the QB situation, you have the defensive line situation for Georgia Tech versus Florida State's OL. You have Florida State's defensive line versus GT's offensive line. And then the sort of skill X factor piece, right? Georgia Tech has their X factor guys. They're Marion Brown and uh, Jameer Gibbs and Jordan Mason. Florida State has, you know, a bunch of guys that can make big plays like Terry at wide receiver and, you know, Warren Thompson and Ishan Helton and then the running back. So um, it'll be interesting to see kind of – I think this this is one of the weirdest games. The spread to me seems kind of strange that it was 11 or whatever. It moved down actually. Um, well, what is it now? It's 10 and a half or 9 and a half, something like that. It moved down a little bit. Some people have bet on tech a little bit so to move, pull the line. Yeah. Um, I just – this is – like, to me right now going into this season, I think week to week you have no idea what to expect because tomorrow four of, you know, Florida State's defense starters could pop a positive test and be out for the game. Like, right. If Marvin Wilson doesn't play, that's a big difference than, you know, like the team – and, you know, say that – you know, Marvin Wilson and Robert Cooper are out. Like, that's a huge difference, right? The two yeah. stalwarts of their defense. Like, So, to me, like, I think you have to just throw all your expectations out into each game this week because you, you won't know. The coaches are not going to really say probably ahead of time who's out, who's not playing. No. Yeah, I think I think we're going to reach a new level of, the, of that in terms of, you know, them – trying to make people read between the lines or, or not even giving people lines to read between uh, when, when talking about injury reports or, you know, suspensions or anything like that. Well, and like guys aren't like no one's at practice at any of these schools. So there's no media. So what you, the only information that's coming out is from sources. Right. And generally the, the way that works is sources generally have an agenda one way or the other. Uh, typically, so it taints a little bit of the information versus what you put, lay your own eyes on. You know, what Absolutely. I would see at a Georgia Tech practice is probably a lot different than what I will find out from my sources who are trying to paint things in a certain light, good, bad, whatever, or towards certain players. Or, and that's the sort of stuff you got to deal with right now. Um, even like with the QB thing, you know, people have said like what they think is going to happen, for example, and from certain players and certain uh, family members or certain whatevers. And they all have agendas, man. I remember people telling me how great Jay Jones was and and talking to Paul Johnson about it and him being like, yeah, he doesn't understand the offense at all. We can't play him right now. Like, And that being a far cry from what like other people on the team were even saying at the time, just that they really liked his talent and they were boys with him. And so they were talking him up to people. That's yeah. what happens, and so you have to take all of this information and kind of mash it together and come up with, with your opinion. I've gone out and said what I think they will do, which is I think they'll play Tucker Gleason and Jeff Sims in what order, I you know, I don't know. Um, and, you know, part of me and, and the showmanship of Jeff Collins feels like they will come out with Jeff Sims and throw a ball to like yeah. or something. I was going to touch on that because – uh, Norvell's only interaction with Sims 
to my knowledge, came in his house when they had the conversation they did and, and whatever was said was said on both ends. Sims was committed to Florida State, fully committed, was excited about it, had a conversation with Norvell, had taken an official visit to Georgia Tech, uh, I think a week prior, maybe a couple of days prior. And then from there, things just started shifting and they started shifting so fast that when it came time for Jeff Sims to pick a hat on National Signing Day, everybody knew where he was going, but it was still such a, a high magnitude for a, a Georgia Tech to flip him from Florida State, you know, Sandalwood kid. That, that was a big deal. And the idea and the thought that you were talking about, about Sims being out there on the first snap, you, you might see Norvell get a little bit of a deer in the headlights look, especially if, you know, Sims excels like some expect him to. Yeah, and the thing is, like, these guys, they're close together. And, I, you know, Dave Padnode would tell you that. Um, Jeff Combs would tell you that on the record. They've talked about it. They, they're, the competition is very close, right? There's not one guy who's just blowing everybody away. So it's like if you're in that situation, you're in this weird season where you don't even know that you're going to play your full 11 games or whatever, like they're not guaranteed to make it halfway through the season, let alone the week three or two or whatever. I think you, you make the approach of um, let's just play and play our young, play the guy that we think we're going to build around in the future. Right. So if that's Jeff or Tucker or both of them, or Jordan Yates, or James Graham, or whatever they think it is. I, I don't think it's James Graham, um, and I don't think it's Jordan. I think Tucker was the guy who was handpicked by Dave Patnode, like early on. Like they targeted that guy early. They made him a priority, and to me, that means that that's the guy they think they can build the offensive around. And I think he got sort of shafted in the recruiting thing a little bit because his team was terrible that he was on. Yeah. And he didn't do the circuit, right? He he committed, like, right before our rivals camp down in, um, down in, Tampa, in the Tampa area. Pulled out because, you know, what was the point of camping at that point he committed. And didn't really do a lot of the things that a lot of kids do to, to move himself up. Jeff, you know, is a specimen. Man. Like, you look at that guy and you're like, whoa, you know, like, yeah. That's an impressive looking guy, great arm, uh, really fast. Uh, you know, can he see the field, read the defenses? Are they gonna dumb things down and make half field reads for him? Those types of things, I don't know. Like that's probably the internal discussion there a little bit. I think Tucker's a little bit further along with that stuff. Both do the one thing that none of the quarter the other two guys don't do. Jordan has trouble standing in the pocket and looking downfield. He, the sight lanes are bad and he likes to throw on the move, right? And then James just is not comfortable doing that, and he's never really been asked to do that that much. So it's like those two guys give you that one factor, the ability to step up in the pocket, make a throw, throw the intermediate passes, those types of things. Um, and I think the, the three, Yates, Cleason, and Sims give you the intermediate passing game, which is so missing last year from Georgia Tech's offense, that to me, if I'm – Jeff Collins, that's an easy decision. Let's build for the future. The season's a wash. No one's going to care how we do. And we're more likely to win games further on in the season and, and in the future by giving one of those three freshmen the keys to offense. 
And then with Jordan, it gets down to, do you think he's the guy? And they're not, to me, they haven't tailored the offense for him, right? So to me, that speaks volumes. They don't necessarily see him as the guy. And I've said this on the board and stuff. To me, Jordan Yates is a plussed up version of Tim Byerly or um, Matthew Jordan, two guys who were backup quarterbacks at Georgia Tech that could come in and win games for you, could come in and start here and there. Uh, I don't know that he's a guy that's going to be the, you know, 11 game starter. I, you know, I don't know that that's the route they're going. And I feel like everything's just trending toward those two freshmen. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, all of the subscribers at, at JOL would not be surprised at all if that were the case. Um, but, but something that I've seen just from a, an outsider perspective, you know, not really being involved in that side of the program, you know, strictly almost strictly covering recruiting and, maybe a couple other sports um, is that so many different people have different thoughts on what is going to happen. Uh, you know, like I think they were talking about this morning on the board, how um, a, a national reporter was talking a, about a different quarterback potentially being the starter, which you were just, you know, one of the ones you were just discussing and how th- they think that you have your thoughts and then other people have their thoughts. And it's just interesting to see that nobody's on the same page. And I think that goes for what Jeff Collins is likely, you know, hoping for is, is that Florida State has no idea what's going to be out there snap one come Saturday at 3.30. And I think you've got a lot of different things to prepare for. If you're facing James Graham or, or Jordan or Jeff Sims or Tucker, they're all a little bit different. They all have, can do similar things but they all have some differences in terms of what their skill sets are and um, kind of the, the, the type of plays you're going to even run with them. Like with Jeff, um, really what's best for him is to have him drop back, fan out the pocket a little bit, give him those lanes to run through, and he can either tuck in and run or throw it or whatever. With, you know, Yates, you roll him out. With Tucker, you can – run literally most of your stuff right he runs a lot better than people realize that's the other thing i've literally watched him in person and seen him run around and those even before he got to georgia tech so um he gives you that and then james james i think got told to tone down the running last year like uh and pull up a little bit and he did that some because he is a really dynamic runner with the ball in his hands and i don't think people realize or just don't remember watching him in Paul's offense and kind of what he could do running the football. And uh, when they got thin, people don't realize that's the other part of this, right? They got thin at quarterback last year. You had Lucas Hurt, and they moved Tobias. And at that point, it was him and Jordan Yates, who was a true freshman. And so they decided to probably – I can almost guarantee you they asked him to kind of tone it back a little bit in terms of running the football. So I don't think you can necessarily judge all of that. I think they could have – I think, hell, you could line up with three quarterbacks if they wanted to. Um, have, like, a trick play to open the game. You, you just don't know, like, yeah. what to expect. I think that um, it's going to be an interesting sort of week. As, uh, this is kind of a, a key season for Dave Padno, too, the offensive coordinator. A lot of people were really upset with how inept the offense was last year. And – Injuries played a huge part of it, but also um, it wasn't really molded to – they were putting in their offense and saying, we're going to take our lumps, right? Yeah. They were not trying to run like a, you know, bastardized version of 
the triple out of the pistol or whatever, which was what a lot of people kind of expected, right. To, to run almost like a West Virginia offense um, with a lot of, uh, you know, RPOs, um, a lot of, you know, option run game stuff. Yeah. Kind of like with Georgia Southern. Yeah, exactly. Like Georgia Southern two lane um, run. And they didn't go that way at all. They just went with Dave's offense that he's run everywhere he's been. And that's another piece of it, seeing the in-game adjustment piece. You know, that's something I've talked about a little bit too with, with Padnote is um, they didn't adjust very much in games last year. They just kind of had their game plan and that was it. And it was sort of offense of the week, right? They would come up with some uh, a set of plays they could run. And when that didn't work, they kind of just went into a shell. Um and tech fans are used. They saw Ralph for a long time. Ralph was great. Ralph Regan at, at coming up with something, uh, adjusting on the fly, coming up with schemes that would work with the personnel he had. And then he had Paul Johnson, who was a tremendous in-game coach in terms of adjustments, even minor things with offensive line, getting tweaks to make things work, regardless of pretty much who they were playing. Unless they were just absolutely getting manhandled. So you kind of want to see. Um, you want to see the next sort of step from um, from this offense. You want to see some adjustments, some tweaks. But really, I mean, they need to be able to throw the ball and catch the ball. You can't have uh, the, the offensive numbers they had last season, which were really atrocious outside of a Marion Brown in terms of receiving. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. The team that throws the ball a lot, like uh, – Pulling it up now, um, their leading receiver had 21 catches. I mean, that's that's just not good. Yeah, and it, you know, Adonicus was second on the team with 19 catches. He wasn't, you know, he started, I guess, the final eight games um, after Jalen Camp got hurt. You know, Malachi only had 16 catches. That's a guy that should have 30 plus catches. You know? Yeah, I think my question for you is going to be. Where do you think 21 catches will rank this year in the, the receiving stats category? Yeah, that's sort of an interesting question. Um, I think that, uh, you know, the sort of – to me, like the fourth, fifth receiver would maybe be there instead of the number one guy. I think that um, if you kind of look back at pulling up uh, their last year at Temple, it's sort of a template to kind of, I guess – look at what the numbers were like um the so their last year at temple um they had one two three i'm using a weird stat thing it's kind of being flaky on me one two three four so they had like five guys over that or four guys over the 21 plus thing. And that to me seems okay. a little more normal that you would have guys with 40, like their leading receiver should have 40 catches, right? Yeah. Like, um, the next guy should be somewhere near him. The two outside receivers should be in the 30 plus category, right? And then right. Marion could be somewhere in there as well. And then probably your next guy will be, you know, Jameer or Jordan Mason or tight end, right? And then yeah. the rest of them kind of spread out amongst that. Um, it's just, you know, 
it's just weird. Like they were just so bad at throwing football and it was hard to watch at times. Um, and, you know, to me, like they only completed what was it, teams completions, like 120 passes or something last year. And really that number sh- should be 170 plus, you know, to 200. Yeah. Um, you know, with the shortened season, maybe it'll be like in the 170s. But either way, like, they just got to um, gotta be better, man. Like, and they played with no pace last year either. And this is an up-tempo offense. And that's one thing that Padnot said that they brought back is the pace to the offense, right? Coming yeah. out, being quick, um, you know, not spending all this time staring at the front and trying to make a decision on what your check is or like getting away from all of that. They spent a lot of time with Mikey Minahan who's playing center to try and get a communication piece to whoever's playing quarterback too there to have him help make those reads and, and help at that center position a little bit. And That's going to be a whole other interesting piece of this, right? The offensive line for Georgia Tech's totally changed. You have Ryan Johnson, the uh, transfer from Tennessee, at right tackle, you have um, a true freshman in Jordan Williams. Those are the two new pieces. Then you move Minahan from guard to center. Jack DeFore is going to play left guard. And then left tackle, Zach Quinney, who's back. So the left side of the line's pretty much the same. And now you have, you know, Mikey and then a whole right side, a different right side. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. I know you know Jordan really well kind of shed some light on kind of his what he can do yeah I mean Jordan you know as a high school senior was the leader of his team you know both both on the field and off um you know being at Gainesville they they suffered a few losses and he was able to have them bounce back and and really be the strong voice that that was needed now you know on the field Jordan's got a massive frame and and it looks like from from pictures and from what I've heard from sources that he's been able to add some really good weight to that frame and has been impressive in, in workouts and practices and camps. Um, you know, even during the, the quarantine, I was, I was hearing positive things about him and the way his body was transforming. Yeah, you know, the, that's where the sort of next level up will be for Georgia Tech. It's the quarterback and the offensive line positions. Those are the two real changes. People talk about all these other changes they made, but the reality is the two major changes for the team were – changing the type of offensive lineman and the quality of offensive lineman, which had really kind of dipped um, towards the end of Paul Johnson's tenure in terms of just some of the guys that were bringing in were not – there were guys that had no business being at Georgia Tech or a P5 program playing on offensive line. They've run a lot of those guys off. They had guys who were like Kenny Cooper or Mikey Minahan or Mike May or Charlie yeah. Clark or whoever. You know, those guys, Jack DeFore, they brought in as a transfer – those guys did belong, but there was some real dead weight in that room. And then, you know, quarterback where you were totally looking for some way different, right? Yeah. And that's, you know, they've refilled the cupboard at both places, right? They added, I'll see, Jordan, Mike Rankins, uh, Spires, Cade, Paula, just yeah. five uh, true freshmen. And – um, you know, they'll add at least a few more in this next cycle. Um, yeah, I would say 
if it's if it's up to them and they get what they want, I think they'll have four new four new faces on that O line. So that's nine and two classes basically, right? Of, yeah. A room that is sixteen guys, seventeen guys usually. Right. So you're really flipping that room around. Um, so I think you know there's a lot to be said about you know kind of the progress you're making there quickly, and then. Um, the other, you know, sort of issue they inherited was the defensive line, right? Because they had just graduated a lot of guys who had played a lot over the previous three seasons uh, under Paul Johnson. They had lost, you know, three, four. They lost four quality defensive linemen going into last season, basically leaving no one who had ever played except for Antoine Owens. Um, and Antoine played well. You know, it'll be interesting to see if he plays this week because – he was still being limited as of a week ago or whatever last time we asked about him. Um, coming off a, a pretty serious knee injury in the pick game last year. And then uh, you had Antonius Clayton in who couldn't play last year. That was sort of their X factor. And he didn't get to play last year. It really sort of screwed up the whole defense because they were stuck playing TK Chemezda, who had never played. Uh, uh, Jonathan Brooks, who was a walk-on who had never played a snap, really. He played, I think, three snaps ever. Uh, and, you know, Jordan Dominic and Chico Bennett and Curtis Ryans and Sylvain. And yeah, those were, those, yeah, those were not the names that, uh, that fans were expecting to see, and I don't think that's what the, the coaches would have drawn up either. No, because they wanted to play like Jaisal Lee, but Jaisal Lee had to play offensive line because of injuries there. Cause you lose Charlie Clark, basically, and after the Clemson game. Uh, basically for the season with like an elbow injury. Um, you know, like it was just a weird thing. So you ended up in the situation where you're playing all these kids for the first time. Now that should come back to help now because like Jordan Dominic's had a really strong camp. Curtis Ryan's had a really strong camp. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, Antonio's has really come on finally. I think seeing the light at the end of the tunnel kind of motivated him a little bit. And let's face it, that's a guy who wants to play in the NFL, right? He wants to. He has a young child. He has a family. He wants to take care of. He's literally living in family housing, right? He wants to take care Is of. Is he really? Yeah. So uh, you got that, and then you have TK and maybe Antoine and Jahazel and Brooks all back in the inside. So you got pieces there. The bit, the issue for me that I want to see um, defensively. I feel good about the secondary stack, man. Like, they're stacked with talent. Corner safe, corner's pretty talented. Safety's extremely talented. Like, they're pretty much the envy of everyone outside of Clemson in the league in terms of depth and quality of depth and guys who can play right now. But linebacker is still sort of not great. David Curry is a guy who plays with a lot of heart. Um, great kid. Just as he's not – Keith Brooking, he's not, you know, um, Daryl Smith or any – like one of those – he's not just an eraser at linebacker. So you need someone a little more athletic to play along with him that can do a little more of stuff because he's kind of the captain on the defense in terms of getting people lined up and all that. You got Quez, Demetrius Knight, Jerry Howard, um, Tyson, the true freshman. So you have some guys there, but just not a lot of – other than Quez, not a lot of game reps. Quez is uh, a pretty good linebacker, has great instincts, good tackler, but is 
and then you have Dimitri Schneider who brings you kind of that X factor piece, and then Jerry, who we just haven't seen a lot of, um, who played running back last year. So it's going to be interesting to see that group. That to me is the defense can really hinge on if they can get a pass rush from the front four, and then if these linebackers can step up and, and one of them can at least become a high quality kind of a racer type um, versus like David, who's just a very steady guy that makes the plays you expect it, but doesn't make a ton of flash plays. Right. Right. Yeah. So I think that's the best way to put it. Yeah. I mean, he's not bad. Like people rag on him a little bit, but David does a good job. He's very solid. He's just not, um, a guy who's going to go in and make a strip sack on, you know, or leap up in the air and make a huge interception or whatever. A lot of times he'll make some plays like that, but he's just not, he's not going to give you 10 to 15 flash plays, um, which is what you would like from a, a really great linebacker. And that's what they need to get from the other guys in that rotation. They also need to not play David as much as they did. I think he played, um, I want to say it was like 85% of their snaps last year on defense, which is a lot. Um, yeah. He was, I think, the – he had played the most defensive snaps of anyone on the team. So, to me, you got to calm that down a little bit um, and not have him – because I think you just get tired. I mean, if you're out there that much, that's physically is tough on anyone, especially a guy playing that close to the line of scrimmage. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that 100%. And, and like you said, you know, with him being at Georgia Tech for so long, the fans know what they're getting for the most part. And it seems as if, you know, the, the coaches are starting to realize that as well. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see, um, you know, it's funny. I've joked on Twitter about David, like he's one of these guys, he's a six year senior. What happens to these guys now that are like him that are sort of probably done with school uh, seniors, maybe not necessarily looking at the NFL or a legit NFL guy. Yeah. You know, do they stay? Do they come back? Because this is a free year for everyone, um, assuming the rule gets ratified that the NCAA has put up for uh, seniors to be able to, to get this year back and underclassmen even. It's basically just like a redshirt year for everyone. Is right. How many of these seniors come back, right? Like, if you're Jalen Camp, probably not. Jalen Camp's a guy who wants to play in the NFL uh, as a – workout warrior he's gonna I think he would roll the dice one way or the other if he has a good season but if you say Ryan Johnson Jack DeFore on the offensive line um you know Antoine Owens who's banged up right now we don't even know if he's playing or you're you know David Curry or Tariq Carpenter like what do you do like I know Tariq would like to probably test the water with the NFL but it's going to be an interesting that's a whole other sort of subplot of this season um what happens with these guys that are, are seniors that are – or, you know, the the one example I really keep thinking about is Bruce Jordan Swelling. He moved to running back. He looks very good at running back. I just don't see him getting on the field a whole lot. So does he play – I guess they can play him now. I imagine the plan might have been to just play him in four games, let him get his red shirt and go play somewhere next year where there's yeah. less competition. But now it doesn't – I guess that doesn't really matter. He can play as much or as little as they need him to. But – it's going to be interesting to see what happens with these guys like that that are in this situation. Then what are the guys that – the other thing, and I've talked to some people on the staff about this, is like what do you do with uh, the transfer portal inbound as well because there, there may be opportunities. 
like, you know, they still could use some help at defensive tackle, for example. Can you go pick up an older body guy? And then a lot of coaches keep telling me that they're going to pass the one-time waiver, right? So you don't even have to be a graduate uh, student to come in and play immediately probably next year. So it's like, how many spots do you hold for that? How much do you plan for that and build that into your recruiting? Uh, they've clearly added players um, several times, you know, when they've had opportunities to get transfers a lot less this year. Um, you know, really the only one of significance was what Devin Cochran, who ended up not being uh, part of the program this year. But uh, those type of opportunities are definitely going to be interesting for them, right? Like going forward, do you, you take like a another Tyler Davis type guy, like you like two Dillons and Billy Ward, or do you take um, you know uh, a high level quarterback that maybe there's a coaching change or something, and there's a guy that could come in and win win you seven eight games. Do they roll the dice on that and push aside? You know, there's just a lot of stuff that the staff will have to weigh in the off season and other schools as well in terms of this transfer thing and how that works out and. I can see it end up being a bit of an issue for Tech on the other end of it too because, say, you're Jay King or Wesley Walker or um, someone like that that's not play- maybe not starting and Wanye and Tariq come back and you're looking at, you know, a third year of being, you know, maybe third in the rotation at your spot, you start to look around at Vanderbilt or some other place back home and, you know, they maybe have a coaching change and have someone you like. And I don't know, there's a lot of different pieces to all of this that are going to be interesting to watch kind of. Um, and I guess that kind of dovetails into the recruiting thing. Like, you know, we look at this this 2021 class and I was, you know, talking to someone at Tech and they, you know, this was a huge curveball of NCAA giving everyone another year. Um, how much have you even – do you think it's affected kind of what the plans are for Georgia Tech? I wouldn't say necessarily that it's affected the plans so far. I would say that it's affected the the forward thinking and the the planning moving forward more than anything else. Um, you know, in the past they wanted to take they wanted to take three receivers and and one to two slots. Now it's gotten to the point to where they're happy with Blackburn and Blackstrain. They've still got two really talented slots and Malik Rutherford and Jamal Haynes. And they're kind of in a, a waiting period to see what happens with guys committed elsewhere. You know, they're still recruiting Jaden Alexis. They're still recruiting Braylon Brown. They're still recruiting some others as well. And then at the, the tight end position for the longest time, it was supposed to be two at the position. You know, everybody fully expected Jordan Dingle, you know, Little Dingle, as they call him on the board, um, to be in the class already by now. Um, but that has not happened. Um, Georgia Tech has Ben Posma in the class from, from the Houston area at Cypress Ranch, and that's somebody that could see his stock elevate with a, with a season now that they are going to play in Texas. Um, but because of the, the, d- the new developments and everything going on, they could very easily end up with taking two receivers – two slots, and one tight end, which is different than it was before. And then you go scroll down and you look at the – well, you don't really scroll down, but, you know, when you look at the board, at cornerback and safety, they don't really have a need oh. for as much as they did in the past. 
I mean, you've got Sarad Bryant committed. You've got Caleb Edwards committed. And you've got Sean Chappelle from North Carolina currently committed as well. Signing all three of those, I, I get, one of those would likely end up on their way out. Um, well, and with Bryant, he could even end up being a linebacker. You don't know when he gets into – he has that frame where he could get bigger and be, you know, more of a traditional linebacker. He's more – to me, he seems more like a guy who's going to end up being a nickel anyways, like kind of yeah. the Caleb Oliver, Charlie Thomas mold, like a, the, a linebacker who can run like a safety, right? That's what they like in terms right. of just having a Sam linebacker. Yeah. So you, maybe he still has a spot there. I'm curious what they do because I know they want Tatum bad. Um, yeah, they want they want Tatum really bad, and they, they still want Kamari Lasseter really bad, which is – is really interesting. You know, we were just talking about all of the defensive, the, the depth they have at defensive back and, and adding Lassiter to that mix. You know, when you just signed Miles Brooks last, Brooks last year and you, you added Miles Sims, you added Derek Allen. I mean, there, there's so much depth at the defensive back position that I'm not sure Lassiter would know what he's getting himself into where he to enroll at Georgia Tech. I mean, Miles Brooks is a really talented guy and he's, having to really work to just try to get in crack the rotation right exactly. now because you have Trace Welling, you have Tobias Oliver, you have Zamari Walton, Jalen Askew, Keenan Johnson, um, you know, Jordan and Jalen Huff and, and Miles. Miles is, you know, the only guy who came in in the fall in that group, right? Everyone else was at least here for the spring, including Jalen Huff. Yeah. So it's like you look at that room, it's like, you know, where do you play? Like how do you break in if you're – you know, like, it, you know, what are those opportunities? I imagine there's got to be some attrition that comes kind of out of that DB room. Um, yeah. Just looking at and they had some, you know, Jeremiah Smith obviously get medical, got medical um, from Grayson. Uh, but there's guys there, man. Like, um, I've had a couple, like, college coaches, like, that I know are buddies of mine just ask me, like, if anyone's left because they're, you know, they're like salivating at the idea that there's, there might be one of the two of these guys floating around in the transfer portal or getting ready to, yeah. um, for now they're able to keep everyone happy. You know, how long that lasts, that's going to be a whole other interesting sort of piece of this whole thing. And a guy like spider Sims who had all these expectations is kind of been put in this weird spot where he's, you know, kind of fighting for playing time because of Tobias Oliver coming out of nowhere and becoming a guy that's probably a, a starter if not a rotation guy. So now you have those four and then you get Keenan Johnson who had a really great camp and, you know, Jalen, who's a speed guy that can use situationally. And there's just a lot of different pieces of this whole thing. And it's a, a blessing if you're Andrew Thacker and you've got all these guys, but it's also probably a little bit of a headache to balance the egos in the room. And, you know, they're, they're running eight deep at safety right now. Like, yeah, what do you do, you know, like, and then that's, that gets back into the recruiting piece. And then also if everyone comes back, you know, it's a weird situation for, you know, Derek Allen, who's a redshirt sophomore now, like, um, you know, what does he play? Like what's his role, Yeah, uh, you know, or Jay King or um, Shoel or Wesley Walker, whatever, like all those guys are in weird spots. Charlie Thomas, Caleb, who are, you know, all kind of sharing reps. And um, it, it's going to be fascinating to see how much they roll guys now and how truly 
uh, set they are to the, the, the above the line concept as well. And because that's going to be the only way you can sell this to, to recruits right now is by playing a lot of different guys. Yeah, I think the uh, the participation part of the box score will be one of the most frequently visited spots for um, fans, media members, and recruits um, in the, this this coming season. And you know that goes that gets back to your point in the beginning. You know, talking about the the chance to to break in these two freshman quarterbacks, the three freshman quarterbacks, possibly in the the season that is where you're not sure if they're going to be able to play a full season, and they're not playing in front of a full crowd like. For example, you know, Sims and Gleason lining up Saturday at Doe Campbell. It's not going to be your typical Florida State atmosphere that, you know, recruits and fans talk about. And, you know, talk, thinking, speaking of that, uh, there's a story yesterday that I posted on, on JOL about Terry and Arnold, a, a Tallahassee area kid who's considering both Florida State and Georgia Tech. And he just had some really interesting comments that didn't really bode well for Florida State. Um, both Florida State and Georgia Tech are, are chasing the, the Blue Bloods in his recruitment. But just seeing the way that some kids in the state of Florida talk about Florida State now explains why Georgia Tech and other schools in the area have started placing such an emphasis on recruiting the state of Florida. Because for the longest time, you've had Florida State, who isn't your granddaddy's Florida State. You've had Miami, who isn't your granddaddy's Miami. And you've had Florida, who up until the time they hired Dan Mullen, they were kind of the, the stagnant as well. And schools like Georgia Tech, schools like Alabama, schools like South Carolina, schools like that have started recruiting the state more than they ever did before. And as a result, these kids are choosing to leave the state more than ever before. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see um... – how quickly Norvell hits the ground running because Memphis was just a whole other different animal in terms of recruiting too. Um, that, you know, they did pretty well there, but you had a sort of built in base, right? Like you could recruit your own backyard pretty hard and have a, a pretty good signing class base um, just in general. And then kind of could fan out from there. Right. Um, it's a little different now in Florida state. If you go look at our rivals rankings right now, they're, 32 they're you know well behind Georgia Tech um now they're ahead in what would be average stars and they only have 15 commits still um you know they're a spot ahead of Boston College right now like I don't know that that's where Mike Gravel wanted to be you know come season opener in terms of recruiting and you know they're being them being you know right now they're tied for eight or they're eighth in the ACC overall like behind Tech and Virginia Pitt, and then Louisville, North Carolina, and Clemson, and Miami, who are the top and the top end. So it's going to that you know that recruiting piece is going to be huge for him because they've got a turnaround perception. Perception changes. Florida has really kind of picked up their pace um, in recruiting, and, and Dan Mullen started to sort of find his footing. So you know that's problematic. You have many ideas who's uh, for all of May Diaz's faults, is killing in recruiting. Um, yes. in the top ten right now. Florida's three in our overall ranking, and Florida State's all the way down at you know what I say thirty two. So yeah, it, it, it that's almost not becomes, what you expect to see. Yeah, it almost becomes a point where you may start to consider it the big two in the state of Florida instead of the big three. Yeah, I mean, you know, Florida State's not 
it's only, you know, 15 spots above South Florida and, um, uh, is it Rutgers above them? Rutgers above them right now. Uh, Rutgers above Georgia Tech right now. Yeah. 22 commitments. Yeah. Um, and two four-star guys. Uh, so is Maryland, but, uh, yeah, it's just, you know, it's it's interesting times, man. Like, and I'm curious to see, you know, Mike Norvell wasn't necessarily killing it in the American. Um, obviously, I know a lot about that, having uh, being a publisher of a couple of schools in the American and having yeah. guys work for me. You know, they would generally finish in the top three with the top three every year have been pretty consistent in the American. It's been like Central Florida, Memphis, or South Florida in some order, right? But, um you know, Memphis overall, like his last full class, which would have been 19, I'm not going to count the, the hybrid class last year um, as uh, the staff changed out, but um, they were 57, which is okay, but um, not going to get it done at Florida State. So it's. Yeah, I was going to say, you got a 57th ranked class at Florida State, you might be in trouble. Yeah, I mean, it's just going to be interesting to see, like, how much you can have of his game, right? Like, the one thing Willie Taggart was good at is he was good with – he cared about uh, star power. He was a little bit of a star chaser. Uh, I don't get that vibe from Mike Norvell, so it'll be interesting because you if you're not going to sign those guys, then you have to do really well with everyone else in your class. So uh, as Tech fans are seeing right now, this is that sort of where uh, Drew Tech sort of stuck right now is they don't have a lot of star power in terms of high-end um, – recruits in this class right now committed. And so, you know, it, it may impact where their final standing is. Yeah, it really might. And, um, you know, currently, like you said, they have one four-star in, in James Blackstrain, who is on the cusp of the 250, but not in the 250 right now. You know, he's got to show the, the analysts and, and the country, really, that he's fully healed from the, the injury that he suffered last year that kind of took away his, his junior season. Um, and reports I've heard and video I've seen of him you know, since he's, he's been lights out and been impressive, but we'll see once their season starts. And yeah, it's going to be interesting. And, um, you know, something we've talked about a lot on the board is with Georgia tech in particular with recruiting, they had their best tool taken out of their belt, right. Which is in-person recruiting for last, um, however many months. And one of the things that George Tech's also been really strong with since Jeff got here is getting underclassmen on campus. And right now all of that is a no-go. So it's like <clears throat> what are going to be the lingering impacts the longer the dead period stays um, in place in terms of recruiting for, for schools like Georgia Tech where you can't have – you know, they would like to have 200 kids at a game or, you know, have a bunch of junior days or have kids out to practice and they can't do any of that. And they don't want to, to be honest, just from a safety uh, perspective as well. Um, it's just going to be kind of interesting to see what happens um, going forward now. Yeah, there's going to be a, a trickle-down effect. I mean, because you the, the 21 kids can't take visits. You see targets like Cam Ball, who keeps pushing his commitment date back because he can't take visits and uh, because, you know, he's really torn on whether or not he wants to stay home or – go places because he hasn't really got the chance to go places and to see what that feels like. He hasn't gotten the chance to go like 500 miles away from home, sleep in a hotel, 
wake up the next morning and still be 500 miles away from home. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and with those type of kids, they're not going to know what that feels like until they get the chance to do it. Whether it be an official visit, an unofficial visit, that it's just like a, a day trip, but you really can't take a day trip that far away. And, and that's what's kind of gotten in the way of a lot of these commitments and decisions from kids is that they want to visit before they commit. And Georgia Tech's ran into that as well, but they were able to still secure some commitments from kids who haven't been to campus yet. And, and I think that's something that is talked about a lot in the 21 class, but it's not talked about enough yet in the 22 class and the 23 class, because none of these kids will have that early trip to campus where they went for a junior day and they got to see things and they got to walk around, but they weren't being actively recruited at that time. So they didn't get the, the full picture. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in terms of the, the 22 kids. I mean, we put up the, the first 22 offer list on Jackets Online yes, late last night. And, and seeing all of those kids, they were able to get quite a few of them on campus early. But for the ones that they haven't, it's, it's going to be hard to really gauge their interest or, or lack thereof or really what the next step is in their recruitment if they're not able to get on campus. Well, there's kids falling by the cracks because, like, our, you know, our camps were canceled, Nike, Under Armour, all the different ones that people do were, you know, there was what, like, probably three weeks worth of camps maybe, maybe four before everything got shut down. I remember the week that everything shut down, I was supposed to go out to Dallas to look at a couple of tech targets. Um, That's right. Ben, Postma. Um, yeah. And uh, – I had a flight booked and everything and I had to cancel everything at the last minute. And, um, you know, there's, there's going to be a lot of kids just impacted in general from all of this and the shutdowns and not being able to get out and and coaches not being able to come see them either on campus and do the, the spring evaluation piece, the fall right now, it doesn't look like there's gonna be any fall evaluating, um, going on. And, I imagine a lot of coaches are going to be gun shy anyways about sending guys out on the road uh, to travel just to see kids as well, even if it were to get pulled back a little bit. So there's a lot of, you know, video evaluation, but there's just a different thing, man. When you look at like, I, even someone like me is not like a total expert in this by any stretch. There's such a difference when you see a kid in person and you can like look at them and see their physical stature in person versus a picture or video or whatever of like the you know being able to tell like how much they can add to their frame and kind of how they move um just in general like walking around their personality piece in person because a lot of people can fake stuff on the phone or video or whatever you can fake it a little bit but it's different when you see you know a kid with your guys right like hanging out and and believe me it plays a factor right like they talk to you know, if Tariq and Wanya are uh, hosting a kid and showing them around campus, trust me, the coaches are asking them a lot of questions about personality and does this guy fit in with us and what do you think? And there's a lot of stuff like that that goes into that. And uh, also those relationships can really help you in recruiting too. Like just in, uh, they get to click with people. It's harder to do that on, on social media. So there's going to be a lot of weird pieces to all of this. Yeah, it's it's an un- unprecedented time, as everybody knows. But the results are going to be felt for years to come. And I think that's why you've seen Georgia Tech not take 
some of the kids that they could have taken at, at different positions because they haven't been able to evaluate them in person, yeah. especially on the offensive line where you, you take three bad apples at a position. You're, you're, that's 12 combined years of eligibility wasted if they're not, if they don't end up panning out and don't end up being power five prospects. Yep. And, and they can't afford to do that right now. They just don't have the, they still have some roster inequality in terms of um, where, uh, you know, where they're oversigned at some positions and or have too many of a certain body types. So it's going to take a little bit of time to get out of that. Absolutely. And I think that's why you see that, that you, they only have Leftwich and, and, and Richie so far. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. And Franklin, and Franklin of course. Yeah. Can't, can't forget Franklin. That's not a read between the lines. Franklin is, is fully committed. <laughs> You're going to like have 12 questions about this one. This gets posted. You realize that, right? I can't wait. Like, oh, it's it's a, a whole read thread. between the lines from Russell. He's going to Mississippi State. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, on that cheery note, we'll uh, wrap this up. Um, thanks for your help, Russell. And we hope to be a little more regular now that we start to get into a routine. Um, in terms of our media access, what our schedules are like and stuff going forward. So yes. for Russell Johnson, I'm Kelly Quinlan. Any final thoughts, Russell? No, I think, I think you basically said it all. You know, we're looking forward to becoming more regular now that, you know, our babies are on somewhat of a routine and then, you know, football season is going to be some sort of a routine and there'll be football on our TV, even just tonight with BYU and Navy. So. Yep. Everyone's going to be watching the triple tonight. And the 28-year-old BYU kids. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, that wraps it up. And uh, we'll be back sooner than later.